Let's talk sports. We have spoken to so many India international athletes. We have spoken to so many administrators, so many coaches. Uh, but today, we are privileged to have someone who has made 756 leagues and the cup appearances in the 25-year playing career, scoring 27 goals. A defender, he began his career at Chelsea. Yes, we have with us Frank Sinclair, one of the best defenders Chelsea had. He began his career at Chelsea, turning professional in May 1990, and then making his debut in the football league in April 1991. He has also played in 1998 FIFA World Cup for Jamaica and making multiple appearances for Jamaica uh, in the international competition. Frank Sinclair is an ex-pro footballer, played in the top six division in English football for West Brom, Chelsea, Leicester City, Burnley, and many more. Previously, he has been a manager of. Calvin Bay FC, interim manager for Brackley Town FC, Oldham Athletic Club. He's a well-known TV pundit with Chelsea FC and Sky Sports News. Recently, he took charge of a head of coaching development at Portwell FC. We have with us a defender who defended the Blues and had a glorious career over 25 years, making 756 leagues and cup appearances. Frank Sinclair. Thank you for watching. Thank you for liking, and thank you for sharing. But please do subscribe on our channel, Sports C Series, and help us spread the word about Sports C. Let's talk sports. We go with the same handle, Sports C Series, across all social media platform. Do subscribe to Sports C Series and help us spread the word about Sports C. Let's talk sports. Hi Frank, great to have you on Sports C. Let's talk sports. It's it's. It's all we have. We've been uh, talking to so many athletes and so many administrators, but uh, believe me, uh, talking to somebody who has got more than seven hundred and fifty-six league appearances, who is one of the best defenders that Chelsea had, who had defended the Blues for many years, uh, played in FIFA nineteen ninety-eight for Jamaica, and coming on this platform to talk about sports with me, I think this is my honor, and I really like to welcome you here. On, on this platform. Yes, thank you, Siddharth. Um, it's my pleasure to be here, and um, obviously, you know, going back in my career, I have some great memories that we will touch on um, how it all started for me, etc. But yeah, no, I'm excited to share my journey with you. Excellent, and that is what people want to listen to. And I, I know a lot of people have read so much about you; it is not something new for them. But uh, coming on, uh, you've been heard on a lot of. Uh, Uh, on channels as pundit, but I think coming getting your story for a lot of uh, aspire aspirants and uh, as an inspirational story, I think is something people want to look at. So Frank, uh, yes, you are uh, an English boy. You born in born in Britain, but how did uh, football happen? Was that the first love or first choice that you ever had? Yes, absolutely. I think from the age of possibly six, seven. All I remember was I had my football was my best friend. Everywhere I went, I carried my ball with me. Any opportunity that I saw a wall that I could kick the ball up against and practice, um, I was always doing that. You know, throughout my younger age, 
And then when I got to the age of nine years of age, um, I had an opportunity through my school to, to go and watch a, a live game. Mm-hmm. And obviously I've never been to a game before. And it, the team that was playing that day was Chelsea. They supplied, some, they supplied some tickets for my school to go and watch Chelsea play. So at the age of nine, I went to my very first uh, game. And I was so excited of being there in front of so many fans. There's probably 40,000 people watching the game. And I was in the crowd and I was just like taken back by just the, the, the atmosphere and how much I loved it. So I carried on playing at school. And by the time I was the age of 11, when I started my senior school, um, I was playing for the district team, which was London, where I was born. And then I had an opportunity to go to three football clubs who scouted me. Uh, one was Arsenal, okay. one was Chelsea, and one was Wimbledon. Now, this is the old Wimbledon that used to play in the Premier League many years ago with Vinnie Jones, um, Justin Fashionu, uh, sorry, John Fashionu, and, and people like that. So in one week, I went for three trials. I went to Arsenal, I went to Wimbledon, and I went to Chelsea all in the same week. Obviously, in my memory was that first ever experience of watching live football. So there was a bit of favouritism towards Chelsea. And I ended up staying with Chelsea and I didn't go back to Wimbledon or Arsenal ever again. And then that's where my journey started, really. From the age of 11, I was training two times a week, uh, every week uh, for Chelsea in the evenings in their academy. And as I got older, I started to train three times a week and then play games in a game program on a, on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very much from the age of 11, I grew up as a, a Chelsea Academy player and went all the way from 11 all the way through senior school until I was 16 when I was offered, um, which was then called the apprenticeship. Wow. It's, now, it's now obviously the, the scholarship. But in them, uh, my memory of back then was it was a two-year apprenticeship that you had to do. Not very much money. I think for the first year, you only earned... £25.50 per week, <laughs> which is crazy to think, how did you even live on that sort of money? And for the second year, it was £35. So for two years, I was on £25, £35 a week. And that would just about get you by to travel, maybe have some food expenses, etc. But them days, you did, it wasn't about the money. It was just about the opportunity to become... Uh, a professional footballer and to learn my trade was much more important. So when I look back, these were, you know, some of the happiest times of my life when I grew up, um, you know, learning my trade with other players that went on to play for Chelsea, like Eddie Newton, like uh, Andy Myers, Michael Dubry, Jody Morris. So many players was coming through the academy then and there were so many players before me, like Jason Cundy, who's a very good pundit now for Talk Sport. Graham Stewart, David Lee. So there was, there was a lot of players coming through the academy that was actually becoming professional players and playing in Chelsea's first team. We had a great academy at the time. So, and you always been a defender? No, when I first started, I was a striker, believe it or not. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, all the way through school, I played as a striker. And for my district team, for London, when representing London, I played for in midfield 
And then when I went to Chelsea, first and foremost, I was a mixed field player. But for, for, the first, for the first couple of years there, I was a midfield player. Um, quite tactically, I was uh, astute and technically I was a good passer of the ball, etc. So I used to play midfield. But then as I got older, I started to play more defensively because there was so many good players in midfield. So uh, the coach said to me, maybe you're going to become a really good defender because you're so fast. Um, maybe we can utilise you there. So I went with it and it became very natural to be a, a, a defender. So I had no problem. Wow. And uh, that, uh, what we can say, the rest of the history for you picking up defence uh, for Chelsea and your career and the rest of the history for us, for us to remember. So, uh, so Frank, you've been part of one of the most glorious era of... Uh, of, of the Premier League, uh, winning a League Cup in both Chelsea and Leicester City, uh, alongside the FA Cup and the European Cup winner. Uh, what, which has been your most memorable win and uh, or, the, or the season that you had? Yeah, no, I think if you look at the most memorable and, and satisfying one, it would definitely have to be my one FA Cup winner's medal. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, in 1997, we, uh, we beat Middlesbrough in the final, 2-0. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo scored the first goal. At the time, it was the quickest ever goal in the FA Cups. You know, it was less than, less than 30 seconds, I think he scored um, the first goal. And uh, Eddie Newton scored the winning goal in this game. But for me, it was the most satisfying because... Obviously, I played in one FA Cup final before in 1994. I was only young, 21 years of age. And we played against a Man United team was probably, you know, arguably one of the best Man United teams ever. Mark Hughes, Eric Cantona, Roy Keane, Paul Ince, Ryan Giggs, um, Gary Pallister, Steve Bruce, Paul Parker, uh, Dennis Irwin, Peter Schmeichel in goal. Yes. An incredible team, incredible team. Uh, Kanchelskis playing right, right wing for them. So that team for me is probably one of the greatest ever Man United teams around the era of 93, 94. And we were very inexperienced in this is the time where we just become a team that could compete against the best teams. So we were very inexperienced going into the final. And obviously on the day, myself and Eddie Newton uh, conceded a penalty each. And we lost 4-0. So it was very disappointing as a young man to play my first game cup final at Wembley and lose 4-0. So the satisfaction to myself was I was able to go back and, and almost kill that ghost and, and say that I, had, I did have a loser's medal, but now I have a winner's medal. So wow. that, was, um, that was a great achievement to be able to go back there and and sample being victorious at Wembley in the cup final. And, and uh, believe me, the names that you took from uh, in 994-5 uh, for Manchester United, it is like, yeah, who else can get into that team if, if these are the guys playing? I think it's based on one of the... Uh, the and that, believe that, that's, that was the time when I actually I started watching football. While as growing in India, it was all cricket for us. So... That was the time I started watching football and, and fell in love with that game. So, uh, so, so Frank, as you said, you started as a striker, moved to midfielder and then went to de defence. So, with uh, over 250 uh, league appearances that you had and uh, more than 70 clean sheets, uh, which is the striker that you really enjoyed defending the most? 
Well, I didn't enjoy defending any of them because, you know, in that era, when you think about every team, there were some incredible strikers. If you think about Arsenal, Dennis Bergkamp, Ian Wright, Thierry Henry, uh, you think about Man United, the likes of Mark Hughes, um, uh, Andy Cole, Dwight York, some incredible players. Every team had unbelievable strikers. Newcastle, e Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, um, Tottenham, Teddy Sheridan, uh, Klinsman. There were so many good strikers at the time. Um, and, and, and very much in tactically, most teams played with two strikers. Mm -hmm. Two strikers. Now you only see one striker mainly in teams because of the formations they play. But back in them days, most teams played with two strikers. So you were playing against a partnership like Andy Cole and, and Dwight York or Alan Shearer and Les Ferdinand, Newcastle, um, Ian Wright, Dennis Bergkamp playing together for Arsenal. So it was really um, difficult to, to play against these players. But I think the game's changed and now the, the game, the rules in the game favour strikers more than indefensively we could tackle hard, um, you could, you know, be more physical. Now, when you watch football, there's there's not much physicality allowed in the game. So, I think it's more difficult for defenders to actually do their job. You know, especially with VAR now, with the handball situation, you can't even approach a striker now or an attacking player with your arms out, which you need your arms to have balance to yeah. change direction. So now it's very difficult. But you know, for me, back in them days. I used to love playing against all of them because it was a great challenge and I enjoyed the challenge. Yeah, and, and again, uh, as I said, the 70 plus clean sheets shows that uh, you really enjoyed the challenge and that it was, it was not... Uh, and that's why, that's why we, we, we know that uh, you, were, you were called the, the, the defender for the Blues. So I think it, 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 it says it all. Uh, so again, so from, from your league appearances to uh, playing in 998 for Jamaica, uh, when you were called and all, you played all the three games that Jamaica had uh, in the league. How was it to represent Jamaica and play in the, in the World Cup? Yes, Sid, well, I'll tell you, it was a very difficult decision for me to make because obviously my parents are born in Jamaica, but I am born in England. Correct. And growing up as a young, young guy, I always had the ambition that I wanted to play for England. You know, from, from as long as I could remember when I used to have a football, I was an England fan and I watched all the games. I knew the history of England winning the World Cup in 1966. And, and I just had this dream of one day playing for England and putting on that shirt with the three Lions. But by the time I was 26, I, was, I had won the FA Cup, the League Cup, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup with Chelsea in two seasons. And I had no talk of me playing for England. And for me, I was in the prime of my career. And I thought to myself, if I'm not going to play for England now, when am I ever going to play for England? Right. So I had to make a choice when the opportunity to, to represent Jamaica in the World Cup came about. Now, Jamaica had already qualified for the World Cup. So this was a big decision for me to make because... We had a Brazilian coach called Reni Samoes, who was a fantastic coach. He was involved in 
Brazil's World Cup in 1994. So he had the experience with working with international players. And the first thing I, I, I asked him was, how are the other players going to feel about a British player joining the Jamaica team after they've done all the hard work to get to the World Cup? I thought this is, um, you know, this is something that could create a problem. Mm-hmm. But he assured me that all the way through the qualifications, he always told the players, if we make it to the World Cup, there could be an opportunity to bring some English-based players who are playing Premier League football to include to our team, to make us a stronger team. And he said, there's no problem with this. Um, and the benefits from them it would be the profile of us players joining them would give them the opportunity maybe to play overseas for themselves. Yeah. So, um, so I understood this and, and then I spoke with my family and, and they were very proud. You know, my mum, my, my brother, my sister, they were very proud that I was going to play for Jamaica, the country that, you know, of our origin. So I was very proud to play for Jamaica in the World Cup and I ended up having uh, something like over 30 caps for, for Jamaica, playing against some great teams, Brazil. I played against twice, which was incredible, to Mark Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, and, and uh, Romario, and people like that was incredible. So the, I take the experience of, I had an opportunity to travel the world playing the CONCACAF tournament um, in, in America against the t- teams like Mexico, Uruguay. So it was incredible. It was incredible. And um, the, the fact that I got to play in three uh, group stage World Cup games and played in all three of them games yeah. and also um, be a record maker by being the first team to go to a World Cup for the first time and actually win a game. Yes. So that just shows you how difficult the World Cup is that not just qualifying, but when you qualify, there's a lot of teams that have qualified for the World Cup, gone to the group stage and never won a game. And we was the first team to actually do that when we beat Japan in, uh, in our final game. So that was an incredible achievement as well. So I look back with a very good uh, and satisfying memory. Excellent. And, uh, and having Argentina and Croatia in the group doesn't, doesn't help, help, help either. But <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. You know, Croatia got to the semi-finals, I believe. Yes. Argentina knocked England out the World Cup that year as well. You know, I had the pleasure of playing against Batistuta. For me, one of the best strikers I ever played against in my life. He scored a hat-trick in this game against us for Argentina. Incredible player. So um, it was a great experience, though, to be able to pit yourself up against the best in the world. It was an incredible experience for me. Excellent. Uh, so, Frank, uh, from your uh, early days to your uh, league matches, FA matches to Jamaica, and then now you are in a position where you are heading the whole football development. So... As well as you've been up on 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 Chelsea FC and the Sky Sky Sports, which is the which role has really got you the biggest joy? Is the the um, youth, or you playing yourself, or uh, being a pundit? No, for me, um, in since I've I've retired as a player and gone into coaching and management, I've worked with senior players. Um, 
And obviously, I've, I've done the media stuff for Chelsea TV when I, for many years, uh, maybe seven, eight years, I've done the media for Chelsea before moving to Sky Sports. And um, I really enjoy talking about the game, um, you know, and analysing the game. But for me, the best satisfaction is the development of the young players. You know, the, the opportunity that I've got now is incredible for me. Um, I have um, so much responsibility with helping young players to develop and uh, become first team players, bridging the gap between academy football and, and the first team football. It's, um, it's an incredible uh, joy I get giving back when I see a player improving, listening to your advice, working with them, practicing with them and improving them as players. Um, at my age now, then it's, it's such a great um, satisfaction. Excellent. That, that, is, that, is, that is so true. And I've uh, spoken to so many uh, athletes who have, after having a glorious career retired, always say that giving back and uh, molding the new generation and getting that player out uh, as a complete player, I think that is, that is one of the biggest satisfactions that they get. So, uh, while you're working with so many uh, young developed uh, athletes and you yourself being a, one of the most successful uh, professional player, what do you think, uh, how important is mental conditioning for the players? Yes, physically we understand, they have to go to the physical regime, but how important is the mental toughness and the mental conditioning is? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important subject when you're looking at the development of players now, especially with um, this uh, COVID-19, uh, you know, uh, two, 2020 has been a crazy year for everybody and mentally has put a big strain on a lot of people, not just in football, just in, in life in general. So we have to take a serious look at the well-being of the young players mentally. Um, we always have procedures where we're checking with them that they're okay and they don't have problems. And what we try and create is an environment where basically we can take everything away from them to help them so that they can just focus on their football, focus on developing as a player. That's what we're, we're big on, is looking at the well-being of the players. And um, it's something we check on all the time because you have, you know, within an academy, you probably have over 200 players um, and you know it's, it's difficult to to get to know every character of every player but we try and take a lot of time and and work with the players and talk to them and get to know them and make sure that they're okay and and not just with the player but we speak to their parents as well because we understand there's a big strain parental parentally as well when you look at the commitment they give to, to making their children be able to train and stuff like that as well. It's a, it's a big commitment from the parents also. And I know personally at first, at first hand, because I have a son now who is 19 and is playing professional football. So I've been all the way through his journey. And I know, you know, there's been some ups and downs that he's had to go through. And it does affect the, the, the family, parents and, and people as well. So. It's really important that we, we always check in on the well-being of our players and, and make sure we help them, you know, through every situation. Right. So, uh, and it's, it is so true that uh, when, when you said that you have a son uh, who, is, who is a professional now uh, at 19 and you yourself have seen so many highs and lows 
and you know what mental conditioning is uh, to talk to new players but while in your playing days there was nothing called mental conditioning it was it was about acceptance and uh, making it happen it was there was no scientific term called for mental conditioning so how did you manage the highs and lows during those time and what is that advice that you give to the new players considering your son about managing the highs and lows of their career yeah absolutely i think obviously the big difference from when i was growing up as a as a young player coming through um there was no real support you know and and we're in an environment where it's a it's it's a, basically it's a male dominated environment so pride is a big thing in this environment where if you were if you were feeling like you wanted to talk out and speak out about a situation that was uh, um troubling for you it wasn't an environment that that uh, encouraged you to do that so most of the time you suffered in silence and you you would um you would find a way of dealing with things yourself i think in this day and age um there is a lot more support for young players through the football clubs and obviously you know through family and parents and stuff like this but what i try to do is you have to try and still give the young players uh, a sense of resilience because it's not always going to be easy everything they do so you have to try and give them the hardened mentality approach that they can deal with disappointment and come back from disappointment and and show that how much they really want to make it as a professional player yeah. that's very important that you do give them you know this you you do provide them with this um steeliness that because yeah. once you do make it as a player there's going to be tough times even when you are a professional as well so the you you have to try and prepare them as as best as you possibly can and obviously with our with the experience of a lot of ex players that are going into coaching going into management it helps because most of the time there's things that happen to them that you've already experienced or you've seen somebody else have to experience and you can advise them you know on the best way to deal with this wow and it is so true that uh, it's talking from your own experience to this young athlete i think this it is very important for them and uh, coming from somebody like you i think it makes a lot of difference and i'm sure when the listeners of this show listen to this the, all the budding footballers and the parents and the coaches i think it's going to add a lot of uh, value what you're talking about so uh, from your play, the glorious era of premier league and your playing days to now what is the positive that you see in the current generation and what is the negative that you see in the current generation compared to yours yes i think compared to my time i think uh, a big positive is is how much time is spent on the tactical education of players now i think it's very important obviously there's the physical side where you have um, sports science that makes these players these young players incredible athletes now but also the tactical education i don't think it was so in depth when when i was playing and when we when i was a young player coming through but now they have so many tools to analyze themselves to improve uh, themselves individually it, it it helps them to become the best they can be so um you know i would advise any young players when you're getting this information from coaches take it on board try and try and um 
and and achieve what you're being asked to achieve because it will improve you as a player. And um, yeah, I think you know that's probably the best thing to come in in today's football when you look at youth development is the fact that they have so many tools to improve themselves. And uh, what is that is you feel that okay, uh, your generation was doing really well, and the current generation is actually not doing it. What is what could that be? Well, I think if you look at English football, it's so much more difficult for these young players because now we are attracting in the Premier League the best players in the world are playing for all the big clubs in the Premier League, which obviously that will affect the opportunities that academy players, young players coming through a football club because the, the standard is set so high for them. And at the age of you know, 18, when you become a professional player, it's very difficult to bridge that gap between an 18-year-old and playing elite football. So that's why we have the under-21 and under-23 programs now with so many incredible young players, but it's still very difficult for them to, to break that ceiling and become regular players in, in the big Premier League sides because the, the, the standards of the players that are recruited to this company uh, country now is is just um, of another level. So sometimes you feel sorry for these players because you know the only way you're going to find out whether a player is good enough or not is if he gets the opportunity. And sometimes they don't get the opportunity. Um, and then they have to look elsewhere to to create a career for themselves. Wow. And uh, yeah, I think that that can play a big role on the the whole mental mental development of those players as well about uh, what needs to be done. I, I think it's a big role for the coaches. Uh, Absolutely. Get, get them ready. Uh, so, Frank, uh, uh, as uh, we got an opportunity to meet uh, while you were in India for 2018 uh, World Cup uh, as, as a pundit on Star Sports, that's when we actually uh, got to meet. And uh, you have seen and you have some... Uh, uh, you have seen the how Indian football is growing and the way it is going. So, what's your view on uh, the way Indian football is going and what do you think uh, has happened to Indian football which is looking really positive? Yeah, well, um, obviously it was a great opportunity for me to come and, and do some punditry on uh, at the time in India when we met. And I was um, looked after incredibly by everybody involved with uh, all the companies that I worked for when I was there. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, considering I, I came on my own as well to <laughs> a very long way and um, a long way away from family, etc. But I, I totally enjoyed it because of the way I was looked after um you know I'm, i will always be grateful for that um but you know looking back at what's gone on with indian football since obviously while i was out there i built some great relationships with with owners of different clubs and stuff like that and and stayed in touch with the likes of the the owners of uh Chennai in the indian super league and i had a role in um in owen owen coil coming to manage yeah. in, uh, in India. So, you know, Winko came to India and done a fantastic job for Chennai. And when he was there, I was speaking to him about the standard of the players and everything. And he said it was incredible. You know, a lot of recruitment from South America with players coming from Brazil, etc., to play in, in this standard of football just shows how good it really is outside of the English Premier League and, and, and the European... European teams. 
So yes, I, I, I know about the standard. I know the difficulties um, of travel at the moment with COVID and stuff when you try to, to um, reinstate football in the country. It's very difficult at the moment. But um, I'm hopeful that things will go back something like what it was in 2021. And hopefully, you know, uh, all around the world, football can become normal again. And, and everybody's looking forward to that. And uh, uh, the ISL starting uh, uh, in, 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 in one, uh, in, on 20 November, Inter-November ISL is starting. So I think that is a good positive sign for India after IPL happened in Dubai. Will you have the fans back in or? No, it will be, it will be, no uh, it will be happening uh, only one location in Goa, uh, three stadiums yes. in Goa. So all teams are coming at one place, which so is going to be without the fans. Uh, and there's going to be so there's going to be a football bubble for the whole. Yeah, it's going to be football bubble. Uh, yeah, so it is already there. It's only uh, so everybody's getting ready, uh, almost ready for the kickoff now. So which yeah. is uh, which is really good. Uh, so well, that's incredible because I know how difficult it is with in English football. We have um, every team has their own personal bubbles for the their first teams. Um, there's red zones for the first team, and then there's different color zones for academy that can't they can't uh, cross over, etc. And I know how how difficult this is to organize. So to have actually all the teams in two stadiums with this bubble as well, it's going to be um, very difficult for the organizers. But it's a terrific idea because obviously, if you've got everybody in one place and everybody. And nobody has the COVID nineteen symptoms or yeah. or etc. Then then obviously it makes sense to do it that way and keep everybody in the same bubble. Yeah, and everybody's looking forward to that because sports is finally is what will get the world out of the current dud. And uh, Premier League has shown the way. Then the uh, the NBA did happened, and then the Caribbean Premier League happened, and the IPL happened, and now. Uh, we know the ISL is starting. So, uh, coming to the last segment, Frank, I know that uh, I, I can go on and on talking with you for so much, but uh, uh, your time commitment and uh, what we have. So, coming to the last segment, uh, as, as a renowned player, as a head of academy, as well as the pundit, what is the message that you have for the young generation uh, who, is, who is aspiring to be a football player? Well, the first thing I would say to any young player is you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? So that's the first thing I would say. You have to have the confidence that you believe that you can, you can, you can visualize you becoming a professional footballer because if you can't visualize it and you can't see it, then you can't become it. So you have to visualize yourself becoming a player. And, and playing at the highest you know, level that you, you, want to, you want to achieve. But on top of that as well, you have, to, you have to practice everything in the game, whether it be practicing your strengths, practicing your weaknesses. You have to constantly be working on your game because the standard of football every year just gets better and better and better. So you have to practice all the time and use, utilize your time that you have and if you want to become a player, these are the things you have to do. Listen to the coaches, take the advice. Sometimes the advice is something that you may not agree with, but still try. Still try to achieve what the coaches are asking you to do, because I'm sure they're experienced and, and are, are giving you these tasks 
for a reason. Yeah. And but for me, the most the most important thing is your mental capacity to that when you have tough times that you're going to be prepared to get over them because you will make mistakes. That's a that's a guarantee. That when you're a young player growing up, you will make mistakes at every level. But it's not the mistake you make that makes you. It's how you recover from this. It's how you respond from this is the best way to show how how desperately badly you want to become a professional footballer. Wow. And I, I don't think we could have asked for any better message uh, than, than this. And uh, the words coming from you, uh, the, the living legend of uh, football and uh, whatever whatever that people know, admire and uh, seen, heard about you. I think it was really amazing to talk to you in the last 35, 35 minutes. Uh, so my last question to you, Frank, uh, if you had a magic wand, what is that you would like to change in your professional career? In my professional career? Wow. Um, you know, to be honest, when you look back in hindsight, there's so many decisions you make in football that just changes totally your whole pathway. Um, and I had, you know, six fantastic years at, at Leicester City, nine fantastic years at Chelsea, three fantastic years at Burnley Football Club, where I was the captain of the team, and Huddersfield for 18 months as well. Um, I honestly, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, because without having adversity that I've had to go through, I don't think I would have become the person that I am today. So I wouldn't change anything for the world. I'd like to know that these adversities are coming so I can prepare myself. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that, you, you make decisions that, that change your pathway in football. And I, I look back at my path and where, where I went and, and where I ended up and I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it while I was playing. And believe me, like every fan has loved every moment that you have been on the on on the green mat. I think it was wonderful. And uh, this answer is so important, not only because uh, showing uh, the the word you mentioned that you believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. What you just said. Uh, uh, couple of minutes before this answer. I think that is the true testimony of what you said. You don't want to change a thing because there is no regret. You have given you 100%, more than 100% to be where you are and what you have, the glorious career that you had. So, Frank, uh, with that, really thank you for this and uh, really want to host you again uh, at whenever your time permits and we can have a different chat, different discussion. And uh, looking forward to see you again, uh, maybe in London or in India, whenever the travel opens up and the time permits. Looking forward to do that and uh, really appreciate your time. No, absolutely. Thank you, Siddharth. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and go back through the memories of uh, me playing and, and obviously touching on what I'm doing right now. Um, it's my pleasure. And my, it's my pleasure and uh, the listeners are going to love this episode and uh, we know that for sure. And uh, thank you, Frank. Stay safe and uh, take care. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for watching, thank you for liking and thank you for sharing. But please do subscribe on our channel Sports C Series and help us spread the word about Sports C. Let's talk sports. We go with the same handle Sports C Series across all social media platforms. Do subscribe to Sports C Series and help us spread the word about Sports C. Let's talk sports.